welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Thanos, and today I have a guest uh, who was, uh, this is our second time chatting together. Uh, some big things have happened. Last time we spoke, it was a very interesting conversation, and uh, the watch world is much different than last time we spoke, and uh, your position in it has changed as well. So uh, let's welcome Asher Rapkin. Hey, Asher. Hey, man. It's really nice to be back. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. This was uh, I, uh, you're you're shaking up things. You're you're uh, you have a very big and popular new release, and I thought, hey, let's uh, let's recap. Let's see, because I know a lot of stuff has changed. So, um, for sure. Before that, though, we have our customary risk checked. Um, I'll go first because you you said you have something interesting, so I'll get the boring one out of the way. All right. So <laughs> on my wrist, <laughs> on my wrist is uh, funny enough. I guess, or I guess in, uh, it oh, makes well, that's sense. very appropriate. Thank you very much. There you go. So I have a, a Moser, my favorite Moser, uh, Moser Pioneer, and this is one specifically for Collective. This is the, is it the CO2? Yeah, that was the C2. That was uh, just at the okay. end of 2020. That's right. So the C2, I bought this. Uh, I was not, I'm not a member of Collective, actually, even still. Um, maybe on the next drop, I'll, I'll jump on it. <laughs> Financially, things are a little bit different. I don't have so much free uh, free capital. We have we just had our second kid, so I'm being a little bit more conservative with the uh, with the cash spend. But um, if there's one that I can afford, I'll jump on it. But uh, so I so I bought this one pre-owned. But from you, uh, that's one of the things that um, I guess we can chat about too. Is is that you uh, you do buy back uh, your collective pieces, sell them pre-owned, and. And I appreciate you got this one for me. I was super excited when I got and it. This is, this is proof. This is proof that Watchbox uh, Associates will buy something for secondary value if they believe in it. So oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, funny enough, I buy. I can't remember the last time I bought a new watch. Uh, everything I buy is pre-owned, whether it's above retail or below. This one happened to be above. Um, and uh, it's great. I think I've told – I don't know if I – did I tell you this story? I think I have about how when I got it, I like I almost immediately hated it. And it took yeah. me like, yeah, it took me a few weeks of like throwing it back in the box and just like thinking, shit, what do I do with this thing? And then finally, I, you know what I ended up doing? I swapped around the bracelet and it did, it fit, it fit like perfectly and it grew on me enough. And now like it's part of the rotation. Yeah. It, yeah. I, you know, I'm with you actually on that watch. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, this is a piece that I think a lot about or did think a lot about. Um, and Gabe and I talk about this all the time. Like I wear that watch exclusively on a bracelet and he wears it exclusively on a strap. And, you know, like I've tried it on, on the leather strap. It doesn't do it for me. Rubber strap kind of. But I mean, this is just further evidence that like how you want to wear it and whatever you own is like the best way. You know, like, mm-hmm. there's no right way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that was one of the things when I bought it. Like I, uh, you know, the bracelet with the clasp, I think it was Brogioli made the made the bracelet, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know it's you know high end bracelet. That was like the, the big allure besides like the dial and like what I love about the watch. So when I got it, I lo- actually I really liked it on the strap, but I'm like this is bullshit. I bought this watch because it's supposed to be on the bracelet, and I like I gotta figure out a way to like it. Uh, I will tell you this: if you made one the same watch in titanium, I'd immediately get rid of this for that. That would be. Oh, gee! Did someone make a similar watch in titanium? They did, but unfortunately, uh, but oh, geez, unfortunately, what a head scratcher. 
Goffbergs. So Goffbergs made made their own edition. Uh, I had nothing to do with it. Um, I found out after we sold. Actually, if you want one, we still have a few. But um, yeah, yeah. it's a cool watch. It's too small for me at forty millimeters in titanium. Like it had to be steel and forty. Steel and forty would have been nice um, for me. I mean, we've sold almost all of them, but. Uh, for me, titanium is my favorite metal, regardless, and uh, that's one of the things. I like watches that look big but don't feel big on the wrist. This one looks big and feels big on the wrist, but it just it, – it's spe- it's so special, especially to me now, um, that I just – I love it. I'll, I'll, put it. I'll put this watch on and wear it for like two weeks in a row. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, that's always, all that's always a good sign, which, by the way, is, is exactly uh, uh, the same move with what I'm wearing. Um, so I feel you. It's it, this is a watch that I take out, and I, I just I wear it for a stretch, you know. Yeah. Um, not to co-opt the wrist check, but I'll I'll dive yeah. in. Yeah. Um, I'm actually wearing um, something which I thought you would dig because I believe you are also a fan of the Garrick watch company. Yeah. Yes, and I own yes. one. Yes. So I'm I'm wearing a Fears <laughs> Garrick, um, which is a, a collaboration between <laughs> Fears, which is a, a brand that I I personally love run by a guy who I adore um, and, and, of course, uh, is a brand that we're also, uh, also an authorized mm-hmm. dealer of. He did a collaboration with the Garrick Watch Company. So they're using a Garrick movement with a uh, Fears design, which is pretty much perfect for me because I've always wanted a Garrick and I haven't quite figured out exactly which one I wanted. And then this one came together and I was like, that's it. And I, I bought it actually on impulse um, at, uh, at a bar with Nicholas, the founder of the company, and um, my buddy Gabe, my partner, it was right before the Horological Society of New York Gala last year. And Nicholas, who I believe you've met, yeah? Yes. Um, I think well, he was on the pod. Not in person. He's been on a, I had a, I had a long right, talk with him. Fantastic. Yeah, so you, you, yes, you know. I almost, awesome I almost called him a kid, by the way, because he's, he's young. I think he's younger than I am. So. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm permitted to disclose his age, but he's a very <laughs> elegant gentleman. And... Um, uh, and he, you know, did as Nicholas does, present to the watch in pomp and cir- with pomp and circumstance. I literally was like, "I'll take it." And Gabe looked at me and he's like, "Are you out of your mind? Like, did you just like impulse buy a twenty thousand dollar watch?" And I'm like, "I did." <laughs> you know, turns out best decision. We make six of them a year, um, or he makes six of them a year, I should say. And uh, even though I don't have any allocation of them, um, mm-hmm. I, I am proud to rep it all the time. It's it's an awesome watch. Oh, dude, so, such a great combination of two amazing British watchmakers. Um, I guess if you're listening now and you and you want to learn about either brand, I've done very long podcast with uh, the CEO and founder of Garrick, um, <coughs> excuse me, and the founder of of Fears. So you can scroll back and see the, uh, you can listen to those as well. Add that to the uh, yeah, two two really different people, but but very close yes. friends. Um, and uh, I love that. I love I love seeing that kind of that kind of collaboration come together. You oh, know, yeah. folks that you wouldn't mm-hmm. expect, but really produces something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great guys. I I own the uh, a Garrick Norfolk, um, which is the probably the watch that I get the most comments on. By the way, it's I have it in the in like their light blue. Well, so according um, to David, that is a uh, the last one he's he's ever gonna make was the watch he delivered to me until somebody asked him to like you know twist his arm because you know. He, but he said that that was he ended the line and I got the last one number forty five. And uh, bright blue dial, like I, I like to call it uh, South Florida blue dial, but I think he called it Norfolk blue. And I get the most comments on that watch just from, from everybody, from watch guys and from just random people in public. So love that watch. Love the brand. Love both brands. So that's a tr- tremendous watch. And this, of course, is so much of what drives like uh, 
you know, the enjoyment of watch collecting when mm-hmm. somebody walks up and it's like, what is that? Yep. You know, like I think like years ago, like that probably used to happen with, you know, like a Royal Oak. It doesn't happen <laughs> with the Royal Oak anymore, right? So now somebody sees me, it's like, what is that powder blue? Like, what? What? And yeah. I'm like, I love that. I love that. You know, like I just, we just got back from the wind up watch fair uh, in San Francisco. You know, and one of the things that I love the most about that, that by the way, and just like plug for Worn and Wound and Wind Up Watch Fair, if you've never been to one, mm-hmm. you should go. It is one of the most positive, just like m- most joyous events I've ever been in the watch world. And a lot of that is driven by the fact that all these brands are there, you know, that are smaller brands, um, you know, everything from like, you, you know, Autodromo to Brew to, you know, Oris to, we brought a number of brands too. You know, it's just like, it's, it's a very diverse group. But so you walk around and like, there's so many things there to make you smile, you know? And, and it's just like, especially nowadays when you walk into many, you know, many uh, existing large retail stores, it's like nothing to look at or it's stuff you've all seen. Mm-hmm. I guarantee if you walk around a wind up, you're going to see something you've never seen before and be sucked in with the like, what is that? Which of course is uh, so much of the joy of watch collecting in the first place. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah, man. Well, that's what you're seeing over the last, one of the best things about like the growth of the watch industry kind of starting in 2017. So now we're like going on what, six years of this. Um, There's so much opportunity for small and independent brands. Um, Like, you know, new brands that come, I mean, there's, there's a million of them. We'll talk about another one that I guess you guys are repping as well that I, that I saw the Formex, which is an interesting brand. I don't, I know literally nothing about them. So you'll, you'll pitch me on it. I can fix um, that. <laughs> cool. All right. So, but let's start with, uh, uh, you know, I guess the main reason that we were chatting again was uh, Jopec. Um, you, uh, you did a collaboration with the brand. So I, so it's funny enough, I want to say it was back in 20, must have been like 2018, 2017, 2018. So a friend of mine was one of their original investors. I think they did like a Kickstarter or whatever. He ended up putting a substantial amount of money into the brand. So he's... Uh, He's he's been he's had these watches for since before anything, right? So uh, before I heard before anybody heard about this brand, he showed me I can't remember the model, but I think it was like a double tourbillon that they make. I just it's the name of the the model escapes me, but um, I wore it on a trading desk show. So if you go back to if you go to to the YouTube channel and scroll back to like 2017, look for some trading desk. There was I wore it on the show. He let me wear it for like a week. The thing was awesome. And I was like, man, this brand is so cool. Um, fast forward now, they released the Antarctique. It, it, oh, at that time, those watches went for like so far below retail. Nobody knew or cared about them. There was no marketing. They were just making watches and just trying to sell them. Now, Chapek is like, you know, it's it's in the ether. It's in the, it's in the, the watch world right now. People know it. Um, and, I mean, we watch box trades in Antarctiques now. So. Yeah, it is impressive. I mean, the, the brand essentially relaunched, if you will, gosh, uh, six or seven, almost seven years ago, I believe. Yeah. And um, I, I'm with you. You know, I came across it for the first time in Cellini um, in New York City. I saw Kita Burge, which is um, one of their earlier pieces. It's still impressive. That was, well, the Kita Burge is um, the, the Wind On Sundays version, right? But it was the yeah, same exactly. case. Well, That's right. Yeah, you know, which is actually a perfect example of part of what makes the, the brand so great. You know, it's very personality driven. And uh, Xavier de Roque Morel, who's the CEO, is a, just a gigantic personality um, and a really, a really good guy and a, and a wonderful person to work with. Um, but, uh, you know, he always talks about like the romance of like winding your watches on a Sunday. So the power reserve of that watch, if you've never seen it before, um, you know, is, is basically a, a double sided, um, a double sided uh, uh, hand with one hand. Um, showing you the level of the power reserve, and then the other side shows you on a scale 
you know, the day of the week. So mm-hmm. essentially it's very romantic. It only really can be wound on a Sunday fully, um, <laughs> which is thoroughly, you know, impractical and just totally romantic. Um, but anyway, um, we, you know, so we came across them and, and as I do with like many brands that I find, I'm like, oh, that's really interesting and sort of file it away. And um, as it turns out at the time, the distributor for uh, Moser, who we were just wrapping a project with, um, an awesome human named Mike Margolis uh, was also the distributor for Chappic and still is here in the United States. And, um, you know, we started talking actually before the Antarctic came out. Um, we were just really interested in 2020 of potentially working with them. And, um, you know, through the creative process, ended up with the piece that we have here. But it really has been actually a three-year journey with them, longer than any other project that we've worked on to date. Um, and, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, you know, in terms of the in what I think is, is a watch that I'm, I'm really just extraordinarily proud of. But, um, you know, sometimes when you read these press releases, it's like years of work, da 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 You know, you, I assure you that <laughs> that is true. Well, it's, that's tremendous. I mean, I think... Maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering this, but I think I I remember uh, the first time I spoke to you, you told me that you guys were working on something with Chapek or something along those lines. And and uh, you know I've I've grown to love the brand. I I owned a uh, for a brief time I owned a um, Antarctique. Uh, it was a, a white dial or I guess like a silver dial. It's really pretty. It's very nice. Um, kind of in and out of the collection, but it was it, it was worth owning, and I'll probably own another one. So uh, this one. Is well, so uh, Japek has now become, especially with Antarctique, kind of more known for their dials than anything else, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, that's something I guess they were doing custom so dials before in the versions as well, but with Antarctique, like, people are looking for certain dials. They were, and you know, one of the things that I find particularly particularly interesting about about Chapek and, and uh, MBNF is like this too, is that as a brand, they're very transparent about who they work with. You know, this is like not a thing that you normally see in, in the watch world. You know, most brands work with a third party in one way or another, right? I mean, the bracelet on your Moser is not manufactured by Moser. That doesn't make that bracelet better or worse, that watch better or worse. In fact, I would argue it actually makes it better because they went to one of the best bracelet suppliers in the world to get you a world-class bracelet. And that's not a negative, which, by the way, stick a pin in it, like the argument for like why this whole concept of like, quote unquote, in-house is completely absurd. You know, just because something is made, you know, I, I, I bake, I cook in house, but my food is garbage. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't make it any better. So, um, sorry to my family has to eat it, but, uh, I feel bad about that. Oh, man. Anyway, I, can eat um, some I, I, I consider myself somewhat of a gourmet actually. So thank you. Maybe you can help my in-house cooking get better. I can help anyway, uh, Chapek is, is very good about saying, you know, this is where we get, um, this is who, you know, Chronode makes our movement, you know, Donza Kadron made this dial, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they're very proud of that partnership. So when you talk about like experimentation by, by being so transparent, they give themselves a lot of flexibility in what they can and can't do because mm-hmm. they can work with anyone to make anything. Versus some people who might, you know, some brands that might be shy of that or feel like it's detrimental to their reputation or what have you, where I would argue that um, anyone can work with anyone to make something better if one party is able to provoke something creative or interesting out of the other. Yeah, no, I, well, I would totally agree with that. Listen, as like the least snobby watch guy you'll ever meet, like I probably should be more snobby in a lot of ways. Like I, it's so funny when I hear like certain brands so I'll do this because I always trash them because it's my favorite brand, but it's also they're a disaster. But uh, Panerai, you know, when you talk about like in-house Panerai movement, it's like, dude, who the hell gives a shit? 
Like it, all they're doing is now I just have to pay more for my service. Like give me an ETA movement. Just stick to the case. You know, stick to what you're what you're known for, and who cares if you're, you know, if you're finishing this movement in house? Like, who cares? For, for yeah, uh, in fact, in fact, I'll tell you, I had um, uh, I had a watch come in recently. That's a very beautiful watch um, that we sold, and um, as sometimes happens, uh, you know, there was an error, you know, error, error with the movement. Um, that watch runs off an SW two hundred, and because it runs off an SW two hundred, the repair was fast. The part was easy to source. It was simple mm-hmm. to test. And it was incredibly sustainable. And I would even go so far as to say, for many people, you know, I think uh, uh, having a independent watch can sometimes provoke anxiety. This fear that there's never going to be, um, you know, someone to service it, for example, or if the, what happens if the company goes out of business, et cetera, and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, but of course, when you have something like a Salita movement, um, you actually have a, you know, very, as I think every, all your listeners know, I mean, it's very serviceable. So if the entire, if the rest of the watch is a piece of art and what you have inside of it is a super reliable and common engine, it's actually a beautiful thing. And I'll go one step further on Salita because this is something that really, you know, really matters to me is I will actually, I will actually make the argument that Salita, you know, Etta, um, uh, Soprod, et cetera, like all of the, Le Pre, like all of these companies these are the, some of the most uh, important, uh, they're the engines of innovation, essentially, for the watch industry. Because mm-hmm. so many companies would not exist and would not be able to make cool watches without them. You know, if you think about that, that Louis Erard, Alain Silverstein piece that everybody loved, or the one that just came out with Constantine Chaikin, et cetera, that watch cannot exist without Salita, yeah. period. And it's like, it's an interesting flip, because I think so many people look at it and like, oh man, that's so expensive for a Salita. And you're like, eh. Actually, it's not that it's so expensive for Salita. It's that it just wouldn't exist without it. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you know, wrapping your head around that to me really changed my perspective on on stuff like that and helped me drop my snootiness because I realized, you know, so many of the things that I love just wouldn't exist. Well, and I agree with you. And, and what people don't realize is that um, the, the biggest issue with in-house movements, it's not that like it's going to be a better movement. It's that you have to build a whole factory. For the movement, like if I have a factory and I can make cases, and I and in my factory I can make dials, I need I need so much equipment, so much more equipment, if I want to create a, a movement in house, you know. So and it's you know it, it's it's such a huge investment. So now it's like all right, I'm a start, I'm a brand starting off, right? And I am I'm a I'm an engineer, uh, and I'm a you know I can put together an amazing. Like uh, you know, design for the case, and I'm, it's all about the ergonomics, and the dial is going to be X, Y, Z, whatever. But you know, I I have to then go and make my if I have to create a whole like now this watch instead of thirty five hundred dollar watch starting off as a new brand, I got to be out the gate at twenty five thousand dollars. And the chances of you failing starting off at a price point of twenty five thousand is much much higher. So you're giving exactly like oh, you yeah. said, you're giving opportunity. To new, like Garrick is exactly the who we're talking about. Like my my Norfolk has an Etta movement. It's a well finished Etta movement. He that was the I think that was I might be wrong, but I believe that was the last watch with an Etta movement and everything everything's in house now. Or if, I know he definitely has two in house movements. But the point is that he started off with well finished Etta movements, and once he built up enough, you know, brand awareness where he could actually sell a watch that was slightly more expensive, then they you know started doing in-house movements. He also has the benefit of like owning a service center. So I don't know, you know, that's a different thing. You know, it's interesting though, this, this model, I mean, there's always been people who have been hired to design movements on behalf of a company. That's completely Mm -hmm. normal. 
um, you know, not every company has the skill set of engineering in-house. Right. But what's also interesting to me is this new world where um, high-end manufacturers are transparently creating things in a way where customers and collectors are actually excited when they find out that a third-party movement is now in this watch. You know, I think I'm, I'm thinking of like Chronode or Agenor, for example. You know, when someone hears like, oh, man, there's an Agenor movement in that chronograph. Whoa. Which is a new thing. Yeah. Because if you roll the clock back 10 years, it, no one would ever reveal that it's Agenor. They would no. just say, we've created the most incredible chronograph movement you've ever seen. You know? So I find that really interesting You ha that you have a, these two parallel ecosystems of third parties of it, you know, that are driving innovation in, in both haute horology and like broad accessible horology, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and that there's an industry, you know, or, or there's sometimes a perception negatively of one, but very positively of the other. Mm -hmm. And I, I realize it's, you know, it's a little ridiculous to compare Salida to Agenor or Salida to Chronode. You know, if you're talking about things like finishing or, or architecture or movement design or customization or what have you. But if you, if you go really high level on it, you do actually see similar things because move, you know, this, a Singer watch, again, could not exist without Agenor in mm -hmm. the same way that a Louis Arard cannot exist without Salida. And I, I just, I love that. I love that there are now ways for, for these, these businesses and these brands to, to bring their creations to life because of the transparency that now exists in this world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also highlights like the different aspects of a watch because, you know, maybe you're only thinking, okay, a watch is a watch, right? So, you, you know, you pick a case, you pick a dial. No, it's like, there's so many, there's so many design elements and engineering elements that go into this watch where like, I can be an expert in case design. I don't have to be the best dial maker, the best movement maker, but I can make the most amazing case that you've ever seen. I can become famous for making cases, have my own brand, and then I can collaborate with a with another brand that is known for making the most, you know, well-finished movements, right? And then, so again, you can, and, and, and it creates so many more ways to collect watches too, as there becomes more of these, of this awareness. Because that's, I mean, that, you know, being in the industry, that's what I see, like guys are, looking for directions for their, for their, um, collection. And it's always changing, you know? So like having a new way to collect watches is going to be good for, it'll be good for the in industry, but it's also just good for the hobby. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that spirit of transparency and collaboration is, uh, you know, to bring it back around to, to Chapek mm -hmm. is what made the watch that, that, uh, we jointly produced possible. Uh, you know, this watch in particular, while based off in Antarctique and using um, the base caliber that does come from Chronode, uh, had a dial that, that came from Donze Cadron. And Donze Cadron, for those who are not familiar, is an incredible enameling workshop that um, is now owned, I believe, by Ulysse Nardin. Um, and they, they are just insanely creative in the way that they approach uh, enameling, which is, of course, a you know, very traditional, old-school kind of medieval dart uh, uh, media and, you know, this watch, which had the creative idea behind it of, of being essentially a tribute to Lanikai Beach, so a tribute to, to the waters in Hawaii, mm. um, you know, we really wanted to capture that really, like, perfect, you know, blue that you can see right through that shimmers in the light and do that in a way that leveraged old, uh, old school um, uh, art, if you will, on a very modern platform. And uh, Donze made that possible. Uh, the dial is uh, uh, really fun to show people because whenever you put it in front of someone, they look at it. And, and their first reaction is like, what am I looking at? Like, w w w like, is this painted? Like, what's the effect here? And it's fun because you're like, well, there actually isn't an effect per se. That's just the actual dial, you know? Uh, so what they did, um, and for those who are unfamiliar, like you can go on in uh, Instagram to Collective Horology and check it out. 
and actually go to Dunze Kadron as well because they have some cool videos of of how the dial was made. But uh, effectively, it's it's a shallow dish. It's like a concave bowl that's been stamped with a wave motif. So every dial has the same wave motif, but every dial um, also is, as all things are with enamel, eh, you know, slightly unique because they're all filled with multiple layers of enamel. What that means, though, is that there's different depths of enamel at different parts of the dial because it's a shallow bowl. So when light passes through it, you get the effect of that, you know, of, of water over a sand dune. And it's really dramatic. Um, and, and for me, who believes that, you know, watches are a really awesome vehicle for storytelling as well as technical innovation and the rest, it's neat because there's no way that you can look at this watch and not, you know, and not, not feel something. You might not like it. It might not be for you. That's all good. But, but if it is, you know, it might, like, click. And that's, that's something that I think really we're proud of with this piece. You know, the folks who saw it and really got excited about it and decided to order it we're very passionate about it. And that's, um, that's always a really good feeling. Yeah. I mean, so I'm used to seeing people when they, when something new is released immediately shit on it. Like this is, this is what, especially on this side of, of the business. Like I see people are like the snarkiest people. I couldn't find much, if any, any negative online, which that's like a big deal. I mean, as, <laughs> as somebody who spent my entire life online, you know, there's always something negative and you really couldn't find anything. And then, immediately became a meme, by the way. You created a meme. You know, okay, there you go. I, I, I did not create a meme. Well, somebody did. <laughs> yes. It's the, it's the, what, what's the, I, I'm trying to, I can actually pull it up. But it basically, it's comparing your wave dial to the Omega wave dial. And, you know, one is like the highest point of art and the other one's like, you know, I don't know. So they're, they're shitting on that watch actually. Is what they're it's doing. like, mommy, I made it. There's a meme about me. <laughs> Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's awesome. no, but I do, I do like that, and it is, it is fun to see something like this, you know, make its way into pop culture or pop watch <laughs> culture, as it were. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I always kind of like, I go to my office, I sit with my partner, you know, like it's always, it feels like we're in this like little vacuum. So mm-hmm. I, 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 I do get, you know, it, I do get pretty excited when we get to reveal this stuff and people see it, and and it, and it just becomes like, you know, a thing that's that's out there and known, um, which is. Uh, a privilege into it unto itself, but is also just like a really neat thing. Even when people hate it. Like I honestly, like I don't, I used to really get stressed out reading negative comments. Um, and now, now I find them pretty fascinating because you know, like there's a part of you that's like, Oh, is that what you think? Like, Oh, I'm going to fight you, you know? And then it's another part of it. That's, you know, that's more like, all right, that's interesting that that's what you see, you know? Mm-hmm. And which is why, by the way, I don't read comments now until, until a project is done. Because if I'm in the middle of a launch, like it's just too much. But when it's mm-hmm. over, I really actually do want all the feedback. Like I do want to know. I want to sure. know if somebody really liked it. I want to know if somebody couldn't stand it. Like that's 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 important stuff to understand. So I do I do like that that sort of peanut gallery effect. Um, and I really appreciate and respect even even comments that are kind of kind of rough to read. But sure. um, feel you well, on the as long as there as long as there's some reality. I mean, that's listen. <laughs> it, it, my one of my favorite quotes is. Uh, the internet is the best place to find people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Okay. So, um, yeah, but, but okay. But, but if I'm going to, if I'm going to be fair here, like I didn't know what I was talking about, like early on in watch collecting, you know, like I went back to my like Hodinkee account and you can read all of your old comments and you scroll back and you're like, Oh my God, (laughs) God, man. And I, so like, I'm not above it, you know, (laughs) we all get, we all get impulsive. 
And I, that's what sure. it is. That's most of most negative comments online about anything are usually just people being impulsive. That's 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 really what it comes down to. Because I have friends. Yeah, and, and there are plenty of very different online than they are in person. Sorry. So, you know, it's it you know people get very impulsive, and it's easy to write a negative comment, and it feels good a lot of times. Sure. Well, I, and it's not even just like the negative stuff. Like being like being mean is like a, a whole other thing. But mm-hmm. but just me like you know saying things with extreme confidence that were just like very factually incorrect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Which I know so that. like yeah, it's like I, yeah, I see people do that. Uh, you know, sometimes with our watches. But at the same time, I'm like, I can't really get upset at you no. because it's not like I, di- I I haven't been there too. So it's part of the journey of learning. Like it is what it is. But um, sometimes I'll read a comment. I'm like, yeah, that's just like not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But well, again, anyway, best place to find people who don't know what the fuck but, they're talking about. But uh, but no. So okay. Well, exactly. all right. So the watch is awesome. It might be the best style Thank from you. Spec. Um, I think I think it may be. I, I really do. Um, so it's kind of you to say. Thank you. Yeah. No. Listen, this it's just the truth. Um, so walk me through it. Uh, I can't imagine that. Day one, you talk to me like, hey, guys, I got this great idea. We're going to do. No, no, no. It, ne- it, never start, it never starts like that. Yeah. Never. I mean, when we, when we approached them, you know, we, we had a few ideas and we briefed them on this idea. Originally, the, the original core of the idea was around Hawaiian water sport. Okay. Um, That's Gabe how it started. went to college for some time. Yeah. Gabe okay. went to college for some time in, uh, in, at the University of Hawaii. Um, and, uh, like, he just... Like, he loves Hawaii. He goes with his family regularly. We're on the West Coast. It's, like, not that crazy a trip. And um, he actually took me for my first time, like, 20 years ago, you know, to Maui. And um, I was like, oh, oh my God. One, one thing, just no. to put this in context for people who don't know, Gabe is your partner. Yes, Gabe is my partner. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, my oldest friend. I mean, I've known him since I was 12 years old. And, uh, you know, we... But we ought to be completely candid with you. We felt kind of awkward about it because, like, we're two white guys from New York and we're like trying to make a, you know, a watch here that's like a tribute to outworker canoeing and like, you know, surfing. And we're like, this, this doesn't, mm, this, this is not right. Well, you know, and, and, and like you can admire a thing without suddenly trying to insert yourself into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're like, all right, well, what, do, what, you know, where, where, but our feelings about Hawaii, like about going there, like those experiences are real and they are ours in that sense. So, like, what could we do that, that really triggered it? And we, really kind of zoomed back out. So it's like, we're not going to make a watch for outrigger canoers. That's ridiculous. But what we, but, but like, what is, but what's the feeling that makes Hawaii so special? And there's many, but one of them is that feeling when you walk into the water and you look right down and it's crystal clear and it's like not ice cold. And, you know, you really see the way light plays through it. And it's like, that's a feeling. So that was the brief that, that brief was like that feeling. And, um, and they ran with it, you know, they ran with it and they came back to us with, some early renders that, you know, don't look anything like the final watch, but definitely like we're the, we're within the, we're within the ballpark of the concept. And from there it really became, you know, and this is part of why I like Xavier too. We were like, Oh, this is amazing. Like, how are you going to do this? He's like, I don't know. (laughs) He's like, do you just like the, if you like the idea, like we'll figure it out. But like, does, does this work? And that was about two years before the watch came out because it actually took about two years of trial and error to get it right, to find the right enamel, you know, to, to figure out the right method of making it. You know, enameling is incredibly difficult when you're talking about a single solid color. When you're talking about the kind of enamel work that Donze Catron executed here, um, it's, it's just incredibly challenging. 
And we have tons of photos, which are, which are on our website, if you want to check them out, at collectivehorology.com, that actually show you some of the early prototypes and show you some of the dial, um, you know, iter- iterations on the dial. And it really gives you an idea. Like, this is, it, it, this is not like, you know, insert idea, print dial. Like, there really are people who are working hard to figure out how to make this stuff work. And um, that's why it took so long from 2020 to 2023 for us to be able to, to actually execute on it. It's wild. So, um, I mean, yeah, if you're listening to this now, head over to collectivehorology.com. I mean, the pictures on the website are, are unbelievable. And it, it, the, the watch photographs so well. Um, I have not seen it in person, but I have to assume it, it looks well, The watch like. photographs well because of a gentleman named Zach Pena, um, who is an absolutely abs- just ludicrously talented photographer based mm-hmm. here in um, California. And Zach... Um, you know, Zach has, has shot every watch that we've released. And I think part of the reason that he's so good at what he does and really brings this stuff out is, he's, he, while he is a technically proficient photographer, that's for sure, he's mm. also really good at storytelling and conceptualizing and bringing something out. You know, like there's not, you don't really get like the traditional lay flat photo from him where it's like, you know, watch on table with AirPod and pencil, <laughs> you know, it's like a, you get something that, that kind of hooks you and, and, and tries to give you a little bit of what the watch is supposed to make you feel. Um, or at least let me rephrase that a little bit of how the watch makes us feel. Right. And um, that, you know, that is why I think, you know, you look at it and you, and you're either hooked or you skip right past it. But the hook comes from, you know, from Zach's incredible talent. Yeah, it's it looks tremendous. And so, uh, the the yellow seconds hand. What's the the meaning behind that, if anything? Sand. 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 Okay. It's I sand like colored, it. and uh, you know. Also, frankly, like we wanted to have some degree of contrast as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you think about the beach, like what is the contrast? The contrast is the ocean and the sand. That's right. Um, so that's that's where that dial and that came from. And we went back and forth on Pantone colors for that one, you know, but ultimately I think we went with a bolder choice, which, um, you know, it's right in your face when you look at the watch, but it's also not distracting. You know, it really does feel cohesive. It's unmistakable. And what, what I love about this watch aesthetically is like, if anybody was ever wearing it in my presence, which are probably very few people ever. will. I mean, how many, there's 50 of these. Yeah. So there's uh, there's 50 of them um, plus an additional two prototypes, uh, one for me and one for Gabe. So 52 in existence. So unless I run to you guys or possible, well, actually, I think, uh, actually, I think I know a guy who ordered one or got confirmation. I know a guy. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, but uh, the, 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 what I'm point I'm making is that it's unmistakable. Like I, you'll be able to see this watch across, across the, uh, across the room, but it's also like, it doesn't look like anything else. It's very, it's, it's hard to make anything unique in the watch world, right? Yeah. And I think part of it is like, you know, if you start trying by trying to do that, you're going to run real fast into a brick wall. Yeah. And um, I think as we've gotten, you know, as we've done more of these, this is our seventh collaboration, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, by the time, you know, by the middle of next year, we'll, we'll actually have released, uh, we'll be up to our 10th. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. And that's, that's crazy in and of its own, in its own way. <laughs> but, um, you know, what we've learned over time too, is like, it really, it really, it is a process and you have to remain open-minded. Xavier is a great metaphor for this. He talks about the creative process of design being a bunch of people in a room tossing a ball back and forth. And like, that's really how it works. It's like, you know, does Xavier's an idea goes to me. I iterate on it. It goes to Gabe, you know, blah, 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 back and forth. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's actually a very unusual process. Yeah. Creatively in the watch world, 
you know, generally what we've seen is when you approach a brand or you start working with a brand, like the process that they're really used to is that someone says, hey, I want to do a you know, blank model and I want it with a red dial and I want you to make the following adjustments. And they go, okay. And here come the renders and they approve them or they don't. They make a change, they approve it, they pay a deposit and like that's it. And, um, and sometimes that results in something great. Like there's nothing wrong with limited editions with mild variations. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I have both made those and also enjoy those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you really want to get to a place of collaboration, um, it's a different creative process that I would argue is actually closer to what I'm used to from the media side of the world where you'd work off a creative brief and build advertising off of that, et cetera. And it's highly iterative and can be really brutal, but ultimately when it results in something great, it's the creative really is great. You know, think of like the best ads you've ever seen. Like that, that, like nobody just starts by writing those ads. Like they're brutally like revised and edited and cut and revised to get to a good place. So if you take that and you apply that to the watch world, you can get to some really awesome stuff. And, um, you know, I would argue like the, this, this is a result of that. You know, no, there is no one person involved in this project, myself, anyone from Chapek, from Donze, whoever, that, you know, is singularly responsible for, for the watch. Um, but it's also not designed by committee because we all agreed to a core creative brief. So we're all iterating against that brief, mm-hmm. but we're, we're each trying to, you know, get it an inch closer to, to that idea. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's funny now that you say that, you know, I can, I look at your watches and every, every one of your watches is a limited edition of some different brand, right? And not like we all see a new release from, you know, it's a limited edition from, you know, whatever, it's a collaboration. And we're like, oh, you know, you know, that feel like, oh, they, they literally came up with this on a, you know, on a Saturday night or something. You know, they, not a lot of thought was put into it is the point. And as I scroll through the watches on you, you can just see like there is there's not a common theme across the board. There coloration maybe a little bit here or there, but not really. But no, no, we, we don't have a house style like that is no. like I, that's the point because every one of the folks that we work with, every manufacturer, every watchmaker, etc., like they have their own vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And and what I hope is that when you look at all of our collaborations together, that they look like you know a Chapek, an IWC, an Urwerk, you know whatever mm-hmm. first. And then they have something distinct to say. Like, I never want to be in a position where we're trying to make one brand ape something that is owned by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, that I'm trying to, like, impose my own, like, aesthetics onto, you know, consistently across every brand. You know, that's part of the reason why we don't have our logo on our watches, too. Like, I just, I feel really weird about that. You know, I'm like, glad like, you said that because I was going to ask you, are you ever going to put, because it's a cool logo. I like it. Thank you. Um, I'll put it. I'll put it on. I mean, put it on hats, but no. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I need to buy one. No, I'm not going to put it on a watch, and and I feel very strongly about that because I don't feel like I have a right to do that. You know, like the dial of that watch, the marquee of the watch belongs to to the watchmaker, not me. And um, if I and if the collaboration is a good enough collaboration, then the quality, you know, then then the concept rather is is enough of a calling card. Um, I don't need like my name on the dial. Um, I would feel really weird about that. Well. Like each watch is very distinctive, but yeah, it's not, there's no common thread. Though I see three watches are kind of a similar green. That's, that's all I see. Yeah. Well, to be, okay. So <laughs> I'll address the green. So honestly, the reason that that's there is because that's, you know, that's what met the brief. I mean, for Armin Strom, you know, we were trying to design a very technical horology watch and, mm-hmm. 
that just fit into the overall aesthetic, you know, like like hunter green, that the sort of deep green that, that that's on that dial, really just is the best um, match to that frag pattern. Um, it's not the official term, but essentially the the frag pattern guilloche base plate, you know. Right. And with the watch that you're wearing, you know, with with the Moser, um, that was really just part of their vocabulary at the time because it was right, right before the Streamliner came. Actually, it came out right after the Streamliner. Yeah. You know, so you had. Um, Matrix streamliner. So you had, yeah. So it was like it was really just like in the voice of the brand. So it, it wasn't that it's like make it green. You know, <laughs> um, it was more of um, all right. Well, this is like this is the tone of the brand right now, or this is this is you know creatively right. You know, like we have another watch that's coming out down the road that shares some aesthetics with a previous one, and that's because that's that's how we really you know that's that's how we we see that that story coming to life. Not mm. that we're trying to like you know rinse and repeat a specific aesthetic or approach. I like that. You know, the fact that it doesn't seem like you guys are, are thinking, all right, well, you know, this has to be a collective thing. You're, it just, hey, we want to make a watch that we really like in a limited amount and offer it to our friends. I mean, this is essentially what, you, what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll edit that one little bit. Um, and beyond, okay. it's not really just offering it to our friends. Um, And this is this is something that I think has evolved very significantly for us. You know, when we started Collective five and some odd years ago, Mm -hmm. um, we didn't view this as as our job. We viewed this as something that we wanted to do and that we really loved doing. It was an expression of like a love for watchmaking. And then what Gabe and I really came to realize over the last few years is that we just really like doing this. But if we need to do this, you know, there's the other side of it, too, is I have two kids. He has a kid. I have a mortgage like you got to make a living. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we evolved, I think, into a place where we're much more open about, you know, being m- making the watches that we make accessible to, you know, to clients and, and to customer to members and folks that we've never, you know, that we've never met. And that's mm-hmm. ultimately a really good thing because that continues to bring, you know, new folks into the conversation about what excites them, what's interesting to them. And, and I get to meet new people, too. So it's much less about like, you know, an exclusive club than it is you know, trying to find people who are attracted to these unique pieces and, and really bringing them together, which is also, by the way, why we started retailing, because we now retail independent watches as well. You know, and we do that, um, you know, one, because, yes, it certainly serves the business. There's there's no doubt about that. But um, but we also do it because in the same way that we're excited about using watches as a method for storytelling, we're also excited about being able to promote brands that um, we're really excited by and are doing something really special. And there's really you know, you can collaborate with someone, but that takes years. The other alternative is to say, we really love you. We want to tell the story of what you do. And to that end, you know, we're gonna, we'd love to retail you. I mean, we built all the infrastructure for that in order to be able to, you know, deliver collaborative watches. So the infrastructure doesn't change, but the perception of how we think about, you know, talking to collectors does a little bit, which is also really fascinating when you make that transition, as I suspect you did too, from being purely a, you know, a lover of watches and a collector into being part of the business and and your eyes really open profoundly when you get a much, you know, bigger 360 perspective of what it's like on one side as a collector and what it's like on the other um, as a retailer. And that's been, that's been a very humbling and curious and interesting experience. My situation was the opposite of that. Uh Oh, I think we, did we lose Asher? Uh I'm here. Oh, okay, cool. Sorry, little, little, uh, little issue there with the internet. But, um, but no. So actually, I I didn't start collecting watches until after I started working in in the industry. So I never got. I I actually sometimes 
I'm, I'm, I'm envious of people outside the industry because I never got to collect outside the industry. So I got to see how the sausage was made and then I started buying it. So, um, which I'm sure also impacts the way that you look at it, you know, um, this is, this is a fascinating thing for me, right? My, my perspective will always be, um, influenced by, you know, 15 years of collecting before formally stepping into being a part of the business. And, and that comes with, with, I think some really great perspective. And it also comes with challenges that are probably, you know, not, not fair to, to the industry. And I would argue it's probably the same the other way around, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that I have to do, I constantly am trying to put myself in my, in the shoes of my client, right? You know, like if they ask me a question, you know, I have to think from their perspective and try to answer that question, right? So the fact that I did, I started collecting after I, you know, got involved in the industry. I mean, part of it was because I wanted to literally put myself in the shoes of my of my clients because, you know, it's an industry I decided it was going to be part of for the rest of my life. So, um, but, you know, I didn't have, like, I'm envious of you. The fact that you had 15 years of collecting and then decided to, to work in this industry, like every single decision you make, you say, how is this going to impact my clients? Well, I am my clients. I was doing this for 15 yeah. years. Right. Yeah, but I mean, this is something that we think about like every, we think about this every single day, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. there's a reason why, like, I'll give you an example, you know, today we were delivering a P3. And, uh, you know, every day when we ship out when it's certainly when we ship out collaborations, but definitely when we ship out a retail watch, I'm, I'm always watching the tracking of everything, you know, and, um, and this this members watch, uh, you know, had had a missed delivery, which is always mm -hmm. frustrating, you know, but my impulse was like, I want to reach out, hey, I, I saw this was a missed delivery. You can, you know, the, the station that you're at will actually let you pick it up at six o'clock. Just letting you know, I'm keeping my eye on it. Like, if you need help, tell me. And, um, you know, the reason that I do that, aside from being like obsessive, <laughs> like the reason that I do that is because I think of myself as a consumer and how many times I've bought something and it feels like you just threw your credit card down this dark alley and like, do you get a confirmation? I don't know. When are you going to find out you're tracking? Who knows? You know, like you, like as a collector, yep. like you get all these tricks where you're like, oh, I'm going to sign up for like FedEx.com because then I'll see my incoming packages, even if like, you know, store X won't be bothered to tell me about it. Mm -hmm. And you just normalize this behavior. Like how many times have you received a package, you know, I <laughs> once received a watch from an independent watch dealer that was like, you know, the, the box was like, I'll put it this way, like a clearly reused box. I'm like, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not suggesting that we should be wasteful in doing this, but I'm like, I was looking at the box and like, this is not a box that you delivered this watch in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just, mm. and these are the kinds of things that, that we want to think about because as a collector, you've been on the flip side where you're like, huh, okay. Like is my independent watch in there or is my like 12 rolls of bulk toilet paper from Kirkland in there, you know? And it's like, I don't know. Let's find out. Oh, <laughs> so, these, so these things, you know, they're silly when you talk about them, but in the end, like they really matter. And mm. I think coming from it, from the enthusiast perspective, to your point about being empathetic to, you know, to the folks that, that are keeping this business alive, mm -hmm. you know, is really thinking through like, well, what is an, what is the experience that you want to have? You know, like I guarantee, like, I don't know about everybody else, but like I'm all, whenever I see a watch online, I'm always like, oh, I'd love to buy that. If, you know, if it's me, I'm after, but I always call to make sure it's actually in stock because yeah. right. So one That's thing that part we of do, this industry, yeah. totally. So one thing that we really spend a lot of time doing is making sure that we're, our stock is always accurate, always, always, always accurate. So if you see it, it's, it really is there. Right. And uh, I can also say on the flip side of that as somebody who's now in the business, that's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's the kind of thing where you think as a consumer, like, 
Oh, no big deal, right? We'll just make sure we have accurate stock. Actually, it's really hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen, well, I mean, Watchbox has gone through many iterations of websites, but, you know, we've had issues where, you know, we literally just, so peek behind the camera, we have, I think, 40 or 50 sales reps worldwide. Every single one of us has the ability to take a watch off the website. It's kind of actually crazy that they, I mean, not crazy, but it is, it's a little strange to me that like, you know, it's a, we're a billion dollar company essentially, and about 50 random crazy dudes like me have access to just completely change their website. But that's the only way, that's the only way this works. So, but that's not just you. Um, total, total side note before I was even in, before I was in watches, before I was in tech, I was in television and I worked for MTV and you would be surprised, um, because MTV.com, basically everybody in the digital team, and I was just a marketing guy, everyone on the digital team had complete admin access to MTV.com. And I remember, um, with, I remember being, because I worked in this this room that was like a bullpen with four other um, four other marketing folks, and I remember one of my colleagues, poor thing, she was like trying to upload like backup advertising imagery or something to that effect, and she just deleted MTV.com, like she just moved it into the trash, because you know, it just moved to the directory. Luckily, she did not empty that trash, <laughs> but like, so for the record, like, it's not just Watchbox. Okay, well, but, well, so... <laughs> I definitely cannot delete the, I have no, no admin access, but I can take a watch off the website, which is, it's, I feel kind of somewhat powerful. We have, you know, 3000 pieces, but you know, like, but keeping the website accurate is, it's a tough problem to solve, right? Like, you know, you would think, okay, well, you know, you just have people take it down. It's like, okay, well, what if, you know, if you, what if you have one point of contact and, you know, 40 sales reps, if I had to email that person, that person had to be awake 24 seven, it's impossible. So the solution Let's create a system where these guys can take it off the, the website. You know, that's there is a lot of interesting ways to, to solve these problems. But um, well, so, OK, we've gone on a bit of a tangent and I wanted to talk to you. So you you and you open the door for this, too, uh, about you becoming a kind of just like uh, more of a retailer than a, you know, a collective watchmaker. Right. So or designer. Um, and one of the things you just released uh, kind of piqued my interest. And but I don't know anything about the brand. Uh, my buddy. Jason Main, who's a friend of yours and the one who got me involved in with you guys, General, um, he looks like he made the purchase and he'll be in my neck of the woods tomorrow. So maybe I'll ask him to bring it by and I'll check it out. Uh, but why don't you tell me about Formix? Give me the pitch. Tell me why I should buy that watch. Yeah, totally. So um, we met the Formix guys last, uh, oh gosh, I guess it was last summer at the Wind Up Watch Fair in Chicago. And I, I, had, heard, I had known about the brand tangentially because I had heard uh, Rafael Granito, who's the CEO on another podcast, and um, was so interested in what he said that I immediately went out and like, you know, bought one of the watches on eBay. Um, and was like, oh, this is, this, is really, this is a really interesting watch. In short, um, these guys are Swiss watch manufacturer that... Um, are uh, essentially associated with um, a major component manufacturer in the Swiss industry or Swiss watch industry that makes so that gives them access to the means of production. So they're able to make incredible um, watches with really um, interesting materials at highly competitive prices because of their direct connection to um, to those uh, manufacturing processes. So you know they're probably best known for their line of watches called the Essence, and within that um, a line called the Essence Legera which is a carbon watch with a ceramic bezel that utilizes um, some, uh, the other element that they're known for, which is a case that actually flexes when your wrist expands. So their solution, for example, 
to um, wrist expansion isn't just a quick adjust on the strap or the bracelet rather, it's, um, it's also to allow the watch head itself to expand, which is a pretty, in fact, I'm, I'm, I have a Legere in front of me right here, I'm realizing. Okay. So if, you, if you, you can see it actually, there you go, see? Holy, oh wow, you can see it's creating space on the, under the bezel, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. completely insane. And that watch, which is made of carbon with a carbon uh, clasp, which has a quick adjust in it and a ceramic bezel is under $2,000. Yeah, I'm looking here, 1640, 1840. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, um, and that's just one of their lines. Um, the Reef Diver, which they released in, I believe, 2020, is what yeah. we worked off of. And it's an incredibly robust 200-meter dive watch that has a couple of interesting, unique features, including one thing that's really important to them, which is customization. And you can actually just use your thumb to snap the graduated bezel on and off which allows you to put mm -hmm. different colored bezels on your watches very easily, which is the kind of thing where you may not think it's actually that big a deal, but when you start playing with it, it's, it's really fun. So we really liked them socially. We were really interested in the watches. And when we met up with them again in New York during watch time and wind up, we basically went out for martinis and sat down and Raphael was like, I have, I have something to show you. And he pulls out this bronze dial like that what are we looking at here he's like well what you're looking at is a dial that we're making which is bronze it's brushed and we lacquered it so it's never going to patina and sometimes you know occasionally with limited editions this is not a collaboration it's a um it's a retail exclusive sometimes you're just like you know what <laughs> there it is and we i remember walking out onto the street with this dial you know cased up in this prototype and just looking at it and i was, I was like this is this is a real like mind bender because this looks like something that should be 10 times the price and it's not, right. it's just that good. Um, and we bought, we bought 50 of them right there. Um, and, uh, you know, we put them on sale. We, we, we started retailing Formex in February and then we put this watch on sale um, about uh, two days before wind up. And um, I think it's just a perfect example of, of like an incredibly high, you know, high quality, excellent, you know, well-produced, you know, well-finished, certainly for the money, uh, diver um, that is not inaccessible. You know, you can look at this at 1935 on a strap or 2065 on a bracelet and say like, oh, okay, like that's a lot of money, but like it's not relative to the watch world, like, it's, you know, tax on, on many watches. And well, what you're getting here is something really special. This is like Oris Tag Heuer kind of price range. You're getting this from a brand. I mean, roughly how many watches do they make? Do you know? Uh, I actually don't know how many they make, but I'd have to imagine, you know, if I'm, if I was going to take a shot, actually, I'm not going to take a shot in the dark, <laughs> no. but, but yeah. not, not a ton, certainly nothing even remotely close to like Tag Heuer. Right. Or, or makes a ton of watches. So it's interesting. Um, this is almost like just I'm trying to compare it to something that I have, maybe like Bell and Ross or something in that range, which looks, I mean, so this, the bronze reef diver is by far the most like handsome watch that they have on their website. I was scrolling through it before we sort of talking. But the fact that you just told me that one of their that their cases flex, now I'm gonna have to buy one tonight probably before I go to bed. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah just, I mean look, it's this but this is right in that, right that price range where I can get away with it too with no problems. Exactly. It's the watch wishing yeah. hour. Yeah. But I mean, well, this is this, is, this is also like the thread that we have with with watches that we want to retail. You know, we want the kind of we want to retail the, the the brands that are not necessarily easy to find or well represented here in the states that we really believe in um, and that we think have something unique to say and and in many cases are personality driven, you know. Mm. Um, Raphael um, is a is is a, a very 
big personality, and I mean that positively, you know? Like, he's a really cool dude. A lot of fun. I just went to a concert with him last Thursday, you know? Like, it was a blast. And, um, you know, uh, when I think we think about other brands we recently picked up, like Arcanaut, for example, which is uh, the Black Badger, you know, James, mm -hmm. um, James Thompson and Anders Brandt's brand, you know, those are incredibly... You know, those like those are a polarizing watch in the sense that like you're either gonna look at that watch and feel madly in love with it, or you're gonna look at it and it's like not for you. And that is to me mm -hmm. like that's always a really strong indicator of a brand that I'm attracted to. You know, um, so uh, the, the and fears arguably is the same thing. You know, we find that we have many yep. many many customers that are like repeat customers of fears. They're deeply passionate, and then others that are just like, yeah, I could never see myself wearing that. And and that so that that through line is consistent with with everything that that we that we've brought in and everything that we are planning to bring in over the course of the next year. Nice. So here's a question for you, like you know, business wise, are you? Because it doesn't look like you're not a retailer for any of the watches that you've collaborated with, right? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. So is that something that will cross where like you'll maybe you'll do? an actual collaboration with fears or with one of these companies? Yeah, sure. Totally. Is that, is that I mean, I think, but that's not what motivates us to do a collaborate. Like I don't, we don't approach Chapek, you know, to do a collaboration because we want to retail them. And similarly, like right. we didn't approach Formex because we want to do a collaboration. We just, they're just, they're, they're two parallel roads, you know? Um, sure. I, I, I am confident that when the, yeah, like, sure. Yeah. It, when the right idea happens, you know, like if sure. there's if there's an awesome idea one day for for Nicholas and Fears, like we'll totally bring it to him. But I don't mm -hmm. feel compelled to do that because in my mind, like my role with with Fears or our role with Fears is really about trying to get it in front of as many collectors that would love it as we can. And a collaboration is is would only help that, but it's not necessary if you know what I mean. Sure, that makes sense. I like this. This is uh, I like your. The way you're running this business, I'm really liking. Um, so, okay, well, not, well, let's, I guess, talk a little bit about that. Well, so you're but, but full-time in this, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so is my so is my partner, Gabe. Right. So you guys are full-time. And that's a change. It wasn't, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't always like this, right? You're, I mean, you know, everybody everybody has a side gig, and this was that's this started off as somewhat of a side gig for you, right? So, and, yeah, so if you want to, and, you know, we walk us through that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, look, I think, I mean, I've spent my entire life, you know, in the corporate world in one way or another, um, which is interesting because my mother did too, but my father didn't. My father's owned his own business his entire life. And, um, you know, I, I never really thought about it because it's not like I had an idea for a business, you know, and, and to me, like the idea of being an entrepreneur in and of itself isn't like a big hook. You know, like I'm not trying to be a founder or whatever. I just, mm -hmm. I just want to like do interesting work. And the interesting work that I found was always at these corporations. Um, but until this, frankly, and, and this, this hooked me because it was the first time that I saw, you know, the skills that I built over these years as a marketer aligning with the thing that I really love the most. And, uh, you know, that kind of organically led it to where, where it went to. And when I, <clears throat> excuse me, and when I left, uh, when I left Meta in November, you know, it was earlier than I had anticipated because I was part of those layoffs. And it, um, you know, it, I mean, nobody, it, I mean, don't get me wrong, like being laid off is absolutely miserable in any context. Like it's, it's a horrible mm -hmm. feeling. Um, but what was fascinating is that I had this, this sort of like other life that had been going on in parallel and was there. And 
you know, I had to, I had to make that choice of like, well, do I want to keep interviewing in, you know, in tech or do I want to just, do I want to take that step? Um, you know, and there's practical things about that that are scary, you know, like health insurance, you know, um, paychecks, you know, like these are scary yeah, things. Yeah. Having two you know, kids and no paychecks is terrifying. Yeah. 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 And, you know, when you work, you know, when you work at a big corporation, it's like the money you get paid just comes from this like bank account in the sky. You know, you don't think about right. it. Um, but of course, when you're when you're an entrepreneur, like you, you never stop thinking about about <laughs> the money that you have access to or don't. Paying yeah, yourself yeah. is the last thing you think about. Yeah. It's the last thing we do yeah. too. <laughs> frankly. I mean, that's how it works. You know? I mean, we have a family business and we're building it, but that's literally, I mean, we haven't paid ourselves from it, but literally when you, you see it from the, it's, you flipped it completely up. Now you look at, oh shit, well, I got the bank account in the sky. I got to make sure I make payroll. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Especially, yeah. I mean, we don't have payroll yet. But um, or for when I mean, we have payroll for ourselves, we don't have payroll right. for an employee, and that's something that also really keeps me up when I think about it. You know, like if we ever get to that place, God willing, you know, the responsibility inherent there is is no joke. We have thirty five employees. It's very sketchy. <laughs> I mean, we're never in danger of not paying, but if we were, that money's coming out of my bank account. Like I'm not. Nobody's working for free. So, you know, that's that's the. That'll be the next yeah, step. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and we, and by the way, like, I mean, that's true for, for our business too. You know, like we have obligations that aren't necessarily paychecks, you know, oh, yeah. uh, when we make a collaboration, like we buy those watches mm-hmm. and we're self-funded. So, you know, you're, you're playing like you're, you're, you're not, you know, you're, you're playing in like mortal mode, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and so every decision that you make and every dollar that you spend has to be considered. And, yeah. um, you know, it's not just like, oh man, wouldn't it be great if we could fly business <clears throat> business to Geneva for like, you know, watches and wonders? It's like, no, that's <laughs> that's not that's not what you're thinking about. What you're thinking no. about is like, oh man, you know, if I buy if if we can't make this work, it's existential. Um, yeah. That becomes less a failure is project. You know, as 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 we slowly yeah. build. No, fa- failure failure isn't an option. But I think, but I think this is but it's, unique it's to real, our though. business. This is just true about entrepreneurialism, you know. You have to look at right oh, in the it's face. Extremely real. As an entrepreneur, you got to stare at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and you know this goes back to like things that you've learned or I've learned coming from the enthusiast standpoint, which like now I look back and I'm like holding my head, and, and one of them is discounts. You know, um, you know, you look at. I, I came up in a time when my expectation when I went into an authorized dealer was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the MSRP is just like a starting point for negotiation. Mm-hmm. And um, while that might have been culturally true at the time amongst watch collectors, like practically, you know, I remember talking to Gabe and I was like, you know, they get 40%. That's so much money. And, and then you actually, you know, but I didn't know what I was talking about. I had no idea about overhead, about what it costs to have, you know, to have all the mm-hmm. manner of insurance that's required and all these things, whatever. And I'm not like telling you to like go like, you know, play a small violin for your local AD. But what I am saying is like, I don't ask for discounts anymore. Like I won't say no if somebody offers it to me, don't get me wrong, but like I don't ask for them because I, I can't give them. I can't afford, I mean, there's a whole element about why I don't, like the business is unsustainable if I did. And Mm -hmm. it's not like a matter of like, Oh, I like, I like Josh. So I'm going to, you know, hook Josh up and I'm not going to hook, you know, you know, uh, client Y up. It's like, it's like, I can't do it for anybody because if I did, there wouldn't be another project. What's that? 
Is it client Y is Jason? Oh. You can just insert his name there for you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Jason, exactly. But yeah, um, but no, and also, and I didn't, by the way, you know, like Jason paid for it. Oh, yeah. And oh, I he think, um, he just, and I think he likes, he's uh, got the same mentality as you. Yeah. It real slick to me, too. I mean, I, that's how I'm, I'm, I asked for discounts, but I, well, I, I can't remember the last time I bought a new watch, so I only asked for discounts on pre owns where, where the margins are smaller, anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I'm not saying that negotiation is a bad thing. I guess what I'm trying yeah. to say is like, context is everything and part of what I've learned you know part of what I've learned as I've approached this is more empathy for the reality that makes sense I mean that's something that you and I talked about the idea that that discounts are required or you should as a customer should fight for them like listen a market price is a market price but you know there's also you know especially if you're buying from independents or buying it direct um, or from small retailers you know, there's, it's very different than walking into like mayors or, you know, one, one of these larger. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not trying to wag my finger at anybody, you know, mm-hmm. like these, these things are extremely expensive and there's nothing ridiculous about the idea of trying to get it for the best price. You know, like I don't want to pay sticker for a car. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't have any empathy for a car dealership. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's just like, so I, again, I'm not over it. I, I think the point is it's given me individually perspective on some of the choices that I've made um, in the past about that. And I said another, I think I even said on another pod, like, you know, one of my best friends is uh, Rob Kaplan from Topper Jewelers. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, embarrassed when I think back that the way that I met the guy was trying to negotiate on a nomos. And I'm like, you know, what was I doing? Best case scenario that he was netting 500 bucks after overhead on that. And like me trying to get 500 off means that he literally gifted me the watch, mm-hmm. you know, essentially it was just a pass through. And these are the kinds of things that I realize now in retrospect that are, you know, which also make me feel like, well, you know what then, then I need to make sure that everybody pays the same, you know, cause then at least I can stay that way where it's like, you know what, if, 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 if Thanos buys something, it's 25 grand. If Jason buys something, it's 25 grand. You know, um, and then I, at least there's some consistency there. And like whether you want to buy it or not is completely your call. But at least I can feel good about, you know, making sure that I'm being consistent. Well, one byproduct of that is that the, um, the market price of the watch, like what a lot of retailers didn't understand, and they definitely have a better understanding of it now. But, you know, the, the price in, what, in which you pay at retail directly affects the, the market price of that watch. So... If I mean, I used to have to explain this back in 2013. I'm talking to a guy, and he's like, "Oh, you're offering me 20 cents on the dollar." I'm like, "Yeah, but this watch is being discounted. This watch is being closed out, where you know they're selling it brand new to you know to gray market dealers for 25 cents on the dollar. So I'm paying you 20 cents on the dollar because you know, yeah, me out. Like, I mean, look, it's it's a it's a well trodden road, and like I get yeah. it. You know, I yeah. I think that. I think the point for me, at least when I look at this too, is if I'm going to do retail and we're doing it, you know, I, I, I want to do it in a way that feels like I'm being respectful to the brand I'm being respectful to, to the person who's spending a not insignificant sum of money with me. And I want to feel like I'm running my business in a way that feels moral and ethical and that we're supporting brands that I really, really believe in. You know what I mean? And like that, that is not, and that sounds great when you say it out loud, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like in practice, it's very hard to do that. And it's um, no, it's not. And uh, it's something that I, you know, am, am trying to hold myself and, and, and Gabe is trying to hold himself accountable to, but it's something that gives me a lot of respect for the folks that do truly incredible work. 
Well, and, um, you know, when you think about the ADs that are phenomenal, when you think about the brands that are great, like, it, it, it's not just that they are, it's that they really, really, really are striving to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I, I really now see and I, I, I don't take for granted. Well, that one thing that also, that rule of, hey, no discounts, also creates like a filter for you because you're, even if you like a brand, if you know that they're actively discounting it either through their, you know, uh, direct or through their uh, dealer network, then you can't pick up the, the line because you're not going to be able to compete. So you're, yeah, you have so to find people who are being specific about that. I think there's less of that in, at least in my experience so far in the indie world than there is in the mass, you know, the mass market world. And sometimes mm-hmm. I think, again, in, in the sense of having empathy, that there's, that, that nobody's doing that with the intention of like screwing anybody's business up. They're doing that because they have a lot of employees on staff and they need the wholesale dollars. And this is like a reality of it, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not defending the practice, but I do get it. It does prevent me from being, you know, from being able to maybe go after some of those brands. But at the same time, like that's not a huge issue for me because that's not really where my interest lies. Um, and while, and, and there's downsides to that, right? I mean, I don't think anybody's ever going to walk in the proverbial door of collective to buy their first watch. And if they do, and you do, please let me know. Cause that's awesome. But like, mm-hmm. I don't anticipate that's who, that's who we're, we're really retailing to. We're selling mm-hmm. collaborations to. So, um, in that regard, like I don't get that kind of traffic. They do, but I do hopefully, you know, find people who are curious and interested and, and looking for something off the beaten path. And that, that is a, a guiding principle and light for us too. So there's, there's pluses and minuses to both. Sure. It's great. Well, it's good, man. I mean, I think you guys, you know, we talked about it 16 some odd months ago. So like, I like the idea. It's, it is, there's a lore to it. I like the name. I like the brand. I like the watches clearly spent almost 20 grand on that thing. Um, oh, by the way, so insider information, uh, Watchbox uh, has one. Actually, I bought one pre-owned. Uh, from oh, a customer, sweet. and it'll be on the website. I'm hoping soon. So uh, you know, hopefully we can get some market traction on it. I, I assume we'll get some good get a good uh, a good amount for it. So I hear you guys are good at selling watches. So some yeah. watches, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I think you can. I think you can manage it. Yeah, we're I we're good at buying own. watches. I'll tell you that. Selling watches, yeah, sometimes. By the way, and this goes to the other point too, which is another thing that I really, you know, hold dearly to my, in my heart as a retailer. Like I am, while I'm not, you know, look, trying to find, you know, sell to anybody who's trying to immediately resell, like I don't judge anybody for selling their watch. And whoever yeah. sold that watch to you, the reason why I have no problem with it fundamentally, A, is it's your property, but B, they're probably buying another watch. Yeah. And, you know, if we're, if we want this industry to be, you know, to succeed, like part of what we need to do is allow people to to take the, the invested, you know, uh, money that they put into this and let them try something else. And, and honestly, that just means that we sold two watches. Mm -hmm. So the concept of like going after someone for that, it's just bizarre to me, but separate issue. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you need more money in order to keep everything rolling. You need more money coming and people are not just made of it. So, you know, once you have your experience with the watch, Find somebody else who's willing to buy it for for you from you, for either more or less than what you paid, and then use that money and buy more watches and just keep it rolling. Exactly. So, yeah, man. So I hope that hey, gives some insight into what we're doing and why. 
Yeah, I think so. This was fun. Hopefully the technical difficulties didn't screw up the, the full recording, so we'll we'll have it spliced together. Uh, guys, if you're listening this deep in, and you, you might have heard a little bit of a, a splice in the in the feed, and we, we Comcast, we hate Comcast. We hate them. So, <laughs> sorry. Cable Town? My brother calls them incompetent cast. And and you know what? It's it's a good it's a good name for them. They suck. But um, listen, I appreciate you uh, you chatting with me, Asher. Uh, we still need to to meet up. You gotta. When, I would love uh, to. We, I need to make my way South down Florida. to Florida. Yeah, gotta, come on. Figure it out. We gotta figure it Let's out. Let's go. <laughs> That's right. Well, Watchbox has two new stores now. We have one in Boca and one in Miami, and uh, we can host. It'll be uh, it'll be love. fun. Cool man. Well, it'll be fun to well, see you, man. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah, same here, man. Thank you. So tell people how to get in touch with you if you want them to. Uh, so you can find us at collectiveherology.com or collective.watch, if that's easy to remember. We're also okay. on Instagram as Collective Horology. Um, and uh, uh, we are going to be uh, definitely, if, you, if you're interested, join our list. We do pop-ups in Los Angeles. Just came back from San Francisco Wind-Up Fair. We'll be in Chicago in July at the Chicago Wind-Up Fair. And uh, also during, uh, also be in New York uh, for uh, wind up and uh, watch time. So we're around, um, and we also do events around the country occasionally. So if you're at all interested in us, please sign up. Let's do a collective meetup in Miami. How about that? I know, I know. You're not. We got to do it. We got to do it. Yeah, listen, the watch culture has exploded in in South Florida. The amount of tech guys that came down here has like they're driving everything. By the way, and. And it's all independence because of that. So that's another that's another episode we'll talk about. The watch collecting in Miami has is it's it's a renaissance right now. But um, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Again, if you if you're listening this deep into the episode, you're a champion, and we love you. Um, go ahead and subscribe to uh, the channel for updates. I promise at least one episode per month, sometimes two. Um, if you need to get in touch with me, if you want to buy or sell a watch, go ahead, uh, at Mr. Thanos on, uh, on Instagram, or you can send me an email, jthanos at thewatchbox.com. First, first initial J, last name Thanos at thewatchbox.com. And, uh, otherwise, see you later.